This is John 17. This is our Lord's Prayer. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the words you the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me, that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am not no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrated myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their world word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that also may, they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that has been given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these 
know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Please, Brother Trevor, uh, come, I'd like to pray for you. Oh, righteous Father, we give you our hearts this morning. We want to see Christ, to see your glory. Thank you for your tenderest care. You guard us, you sanctify us through your word. I pray in thanks of the Spirit that gives us understanding and truth. Your words are truth. I pray for brother, the marvelous work you have prepared for him, for us who believe, that Trevor be strengthened, established, and confirmed by your Spirit that guides him as we draw near in the hearing and believing of your great love towards us in Christ. I thank you for your servant. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, your light that is shunned in the hearts to give us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You are the light of man, our righteousness. Lord, sanctify Trevor and give him wisdom as he shepherds us in his faithful work you have entrusted him with. Guard his heart. Keep us, O Lord, pure. Purify your bride. I pray for the body we who believe, we who are not of this world, we who are made obedient to your word in the keeping of it. Thank you for your spirit that unifies us as we are united one to another, as you, Jesus, are to the Father. This is the power of the gospel to us who believe. Thank you that our unity is for the world's belief in him who is in all and fills all. Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, to him be the glory forevermore. O righteous Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. For your Son's sake, to him be the glory. Amen. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate you, buddy. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. My name is Trevor. I am one of the pastors here, and I get the privilege of teaching out of the passage that uh, Mark just read, out of John chapter 17. Um, Before we do that, I just want to do a quick intro, just a reminder on the series that we're currently in. We're currently doing a series called The 28 Days of Prayer. And uh, every year we choose to start off with like recalibrating our lives around the person of Jesus. It's really easy over the course of time. We've got kind of true north and then we're chugging along and then we kind of start doing this, right? You know this feeling and then you go whoop and then you kind of do this. You guys know what I'm talking about? So we choose at the beginning of every year to to, to reorient ourselves on the true north of not just obedience to Jesus because we're supposed to pray, um, but but, uh, grounding ourselves in his presence, that he becomes the dominant voice in our lives, that the dominant, uh, way, the dominant thing that we give our attention and our worship to becomes the person of Jesus. So we're orienting ourselves this January around God's presence, and we've chosen four themes to do that. The first week was God's glory. The second week was our loving submission to him and his mercy. This week, I get to teach on Jesus' fame. 
And then next week, we'll wrap up by looking at our partnership in his mission. Uh, now, as, to guide us as we're going through this, we have these little booklets. They're 28 days of prayer. Basically, uh, every, there's a little introduction, and then each week is captured on a page. So there's daily prayer guides, Monday through Saturday. So it kind of walks you through the passage and what breaks that down in some small theme chunks that you can pray every single day. And then on the right-hand side is a blank space for you to take notes during sermons. If you'd like one of those, you can get up at any point, but they're going to be on either side of the room. There's black carts with Bibles as well as these and pens. You can grab those at any point. Uh, Now, all four of these things, God's glory, our submission, Jesus's fame, and then our partnership in um, his mission, these are things for us to pray for. So our messages are kind of helping us learn how to pray for these things, but they're also things that move us toward prayer. So Yes, I, it, it helps and it's good for me as a Christian to pray for God's glory, but also when I think of God's glory, it moves me into prayer because it reminds me of his goodness and his majesty and it brings me into his presence. Now, two quick thoughts just on the series uh, that I want to uh, give you. First, 28 days of prayer is 28 days, not one shot that you missed 13 days ago. Okay, <laughs> So if you are, are finding yourself, oh man, I, I wish I had engaged, but I missed the boat, not at all. You've got 14 more days, at least in our little sermon series, um, we've got 14 more days. And so the goal is for us to work on building that. You guys know habits aren't made uh, immediately through perfection. So if this is something you desire, uh, we are diligently giving ourselves to this for the next 14 days. But good news Your love and intimacy with the King Jesus is not dictated by the church, so you can start praying whenever you want for the rest of the year. Second thing I just want to say is prayer can bring up all sorts of weird feelings, right? Prayer can make us feel like failures. It can make us feel disobedient. It can make us just kind of want to hide. It can make us feel inadequate. Um, And so if you have been feeling any of that stuff as our church has been getting into this, one, I just want to say, hi, me too. Very normal, very normal. That is not anything you need to hide or be embarrassed of. The second thing I want to say around that is um, our, our, often our knee-jerk reaction is to push all that stuff away and then do the thing we know we're supposed to do. And I want to give you permission for what it's worth to not have to push that stuff away, but rather to acknowledge it as part of you and part of your story and that that is okay. When we acknowledge it and, and recognize that it's just part of us, and it's not something we need to hide or push away, what it does is it, it lets us explore it with curiosity and begin to understand ourselves and our story better. And what happens in that process is something that was a barrier gets turned into a springboard. So if I feel like I'm not quite doing prayer good enough, and so I'm, like, I carry that and I push it away and I just try harder... Um, what it ends up doing is it becomes a barrier between my intimacy with God. But when I recognize that and I explore it, now I get to bring that in trust to God. God, I don't actually want to do this. There's parts of me that don't want to do this. Or God, I feel like a failure. Am I a failure in your eyes? Are you frustrated with me because I haven't been doing this well, Jesus? And now it opens us up to actually looking him in the face and hearing, you're my son and my daughter and I love you. So our barriers become springboards when we look them in the eye and don't try to hide them. So those are just two quick thoughts about prayer, if it brings anything hard for you. Now today, as we move into teaching, today is about Jesus's fame. And we've chosen this word specifically, fame, to talk about the widespread knowledge and reputation and name of Jesus. And this word is really helpful because it adds some tangibility, some some tactileness to the word glory. 
Have you guys ever wondered what exactly glory means? Me too. We often sing a song here. It's actually one of my favorite songs ever. It's called All Glory Be to Christ. But even though I love that song, sometimes I find myself singing it and wondering, what exactly am I wanting here? Because glory can be a little bit intangible. And so we've chosen to use this word fame, not because it is entirely encapsulates glory, but because it's an important part of it. So fame helps us understand glory. And here's how I'm kind of using the word fame today. I'm understanding it as attention, the attention that someone gets or is given, uh, the expectations that are put on them, um, or the influence that they have, or the importance that they have. So fame can be understood as attention, expectation, influence, and importance. Now, considering Jesus' fame can be really important because it reminds us what to pray for, right? That we can pray for, not just the vague thing about Jesus' glory or Jesus' fame, but we can pray that our attention would be given to him, that the attention of the people we care for would be given to him, that we would come to him with expectations of his goodness and his power and his mercy and that he would fulfill those expectations. We can come to him and give him influence in our life. We can pray for his influence in our life and we can pray that he would be important in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. So these are all parts of Jesus' fame and his glory. Now, I'm a 90s kid. Uh, so I'm kind of on the cusp between millennial and Gen Z, though I, I, I identify more with millennials. Uh, but my memory of 90s pop culture goes a little bit like this. It includes neon zip-up joggers. It inclu- includes the original Pokemon, which, yes, is the best. It includes rappers like Ice Cube, right, 90s hip-hop. And also these things, these cool picture toys. You guys remember these? Yeah. I actually thought these were like an 80s, 90s things. Come to find out, these were made in like 1935, and they're still making them. I don't know why. When you have iPads, I don't know why you still produce these. That doesn't make sense to me. But so this is what I, I grew up in. Now, a weird thing happened to me as I transitioned from childhood into adolescence and then into adulthood. Most of the TV shows that I watched included... Uh, children that were about my age. They were often a couple years uh, older than me or just a year or two younger than me. And so as I grew up, they grew up. Some of them continued in TV and movies and they kind of grew in their career. Other ones, though, uh, kind of fell off the map, but they would pop up every once in a while on the news for going nuts. Anyone here know like some of these stories? So these are some of the things that I grew up with, some of the people. Uh, Britney Spears, if you remember, Shia LaBeouf, Lindsay Lohan, Lee Thompson, Miley Cyrus, definitely know her, Zac Efron, Demi Lovato, Selena Gomez. Any of you guys recognize some of these people? Yeah. Now, unfortunately, um, I I was reminded of these people in 2018 when I read an article. And this article was wondering if Disney should be held responsible for the, the... the financial damages they caused in the lives of child stars. Because such a high percentage of these children who grew up famous went crazy. And so this article was wondering, what is it about fame and Disney, and should they be doing something to support these kids so they don't end up as 20-year-old train wrecks? And so all of these people, I, like, they kind of came back up on my radar in 2018 as I was reading this article. 
And so as I grew up, like I watched all these people. These were my, my peers, as weird as that sounds. When I was 17, I was watching 17-year-old Zac Efron or, or Justin Bieber kind of going off and doing heroin. And so what I learned by watching these was that fame does weird things to people. But it's not only Disney child, childhood stars, right? If we go back even just a couple of decades, some, some names that kind of come to my mind is Bing Crosby, Ray Charles, Johnny Cash, Elvis Presley, The Beatles, Princess Diana, more recently, Justin Bieber, Johnny Depp. Like, this list could just kind of keep going, am I right? You probably right now have five to 10 to 20, like, names of famous people who went off the deep end. And I think it's fair to say that fame does two things, likely. Fame either crushes you, or it fools you into believing that you're amazing as everyone says you are. Both of those are dangerous for the human soul. It seems like the only way that people survive fame is when they sidestep it, when they actually don't let it get to them. Those are the people that do well in fame is when in their own minds and in their close circles, they live as if their fame doesn't exist. They, they kind of sidestep the expectations of the outside world. They sidestep the aggrandizement and the expectations and, and all the attention given to them. And they, they live as though they are no more important than the average person. Those are the people that seem to do well with fame. So am I saying that fame is bad? Not really. But if we think of fame, again, as attention and expectation and influence and importance, it's not bad. It just needs to be proportionate to the person. So that pattern of either crushing someone or making them arrogant, those things tend to happen because when we give fame, we, we heap fame. We throw fame and attention and importance and influence. And we give people more of this than they can carry as human beings or that they deserve to carry. Should Justin Bieber have gotten as much attention as he did? As a 13-year-old kid saying, baby, 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 oh. <laughs> no, it's not worth the attention. You're welcome. Thank you. Yes. It's not worth the attention that we gave it. And I'm not trying to say he's not worth it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it, the attention and the expectation was bigger than a human could ever carry. And so it crushed and it tricked him into believing he was more important than he was. So here's a really weird question for you, thinking of fame. How much fame is good for Jesus? How much attention and expectation, how much influence and how much importance can Jesus carry without being crushed or becoming self-deluded? Well, one of Jesus' closest followers wrote a book, and his follower's name was John, and we have the Gospel of John by him, and in this whole Gospel, he wrote it for really one purpose, to make Jesus famous to increase Jesus's fame. Now, when I use that sort of language, it can feel kind of uncomfortable. Does anyone feel a little bit uncomfortable with that idea? Let's all go make Jesus famous. It's weird for me, but it's because when we humans seek out fame and we become super famous, 
our reputation, the shoes we're trying to fill, outgrow reality, right? So for us to seek fame is, is selfish and unrealistic and a little bit diluted. And when we become famous, we actually become less ourselves and we become less known for who we really are. We become known for this presentation that is false. And the, the presentation that we give is actually larger than life. So we're putting forward and becoming known, not as who we really are, but as this thing that we project. But here's what's different about Jesus. When Jesus becomes more famous, what's happening is his reputation is growing up to fit who he really is. When our personal knowledge and widespread knowledge of Jesus increases, it is just beginning to scratch the surface of his true glory. So Jesus could never be too famous because it will never catch up to the, the power and the presence of who he actually is. Not because he's putting forward a false facade, but because who he is is actually so much better than we could ever conceive. So for Jesus to be famous is not for him to become crushed or deluded. It's for him to step into the position and the reputation that he deserves for who he is. Now, why did John want Jesus to be famous? It was because he wanted people to see Jesus for who he really is. Not because he wanted to create a larger-than-life Jesus, but because he wanted to put forward who Jesus really is. Now, I would love some quick in interaction with you guys, uh, think real fast of who are some famous people that you know about? Who are some famous people that you know about? This could be historical, modern, pop, science, whatever. Who are some famous people and what are they known for? I want to hear from you. Raise your hand. I want to call on you. I want to hear. Who are some famous people you know? Billy Graham. He's famous for being an evangelist. He was America's pastor. Yeah, right there. Bob Ross, oh yes, no happy accidents, or only happy accidents, is that right? Yeah, Bob Ross, the painter, yeah. Bill Nye, the science guy, we're going back to the 90s. Who else? Adam Sandler, yeah, happy Gilmore, water boy. Who? What? Bless you. Yes. Gesundheit. <laughs> now, I've, I've got a couple, but uh, a couple famous people. So think in your mind, how, does, how do those people, for, for as famous as they are, Billy Graham, Bill Nye, Bob Ross, as well known as they are, some of them powerful, some of them having lots of attention and influence, how do they stack up in reality to Jesus the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth? Some, some people I was thinking of that compared to the Gospel of John. Thomas Edison, famous for inventing the light bulb, though he might have stolen the patent. How does that compare to the Gospel of John, where John says Jesus is light? Thomas Edison invented a little fluorescent bulb. He invented a way of creating a small amount of light, whereas John says Jesus is light and life itself in all of the cosmos. Compare Genghis Khan. This was the Mongolian ruler from a couple hundred years ago. He had the largest land empire ever known to man. He conquered the most amount of land ever known. John tells us that Jesus conquered death and Hades, and that right now he reigns over heaven, earth, and all the cosmos. 
How does that stack up? Mahatma Gandhi, right? Famous for using nonviolent resistance to help liberate India from British colonialism. John tells us that Jesus used nonviolent resistance to liberate humanity from bondage and sin. Martha Stewart. Who thought I was going there? Martha Stewart. Famous for hospitality and hosting tips, as well as a side business of illegal financial stuff. (laughs) Martha Stewart was famous for hospitality and how to invite people into your home and have a good time. John tells us that Jesus threw parties at other people's houses, and then he invited sinners and prostitutes and cultural traitors and the unclean, and he made them feel at home in God's grace and forgiveness. So John says, I wrote this book so you would see Jesus for who he really is. John chapter 20, verse 31, he says this, I wrote all this so you may believe that Jesus is the anointed one of God. He is the Christ, that he is the son of God, and that by believing this is true, you may have life in his name. When John looked at the famous people of his history or his present time, he said, where should people's attention be? Should it be on that Caesar is Lord or that Christ is Lord? Should it be on the the pop culture of, of Rome or whatever that might be, or should it be on this man, Jesus the Christ? John wanted everyone's eyes to be on Jesus and Jesus's name to be on everyone's lips. That was why he wrote the Gospel of John. Now in John chapter 17, which Mark read a little bit ago, Jesus is just a couple of hours from being arrested, uh, put on a sham trial, and then being crucified. And you know what he prays for? He prays for his glory and his people. When Jesus is about to die, He says, Father, my hour has come. And then he prays for his glory and he prays for his people. And so my big point from here on out, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of go through the Gospel of John, or John 17. I'm just going to pull out a couple of things to point our attention to. Like to wrap it all together though, one big idea is that Jesus is worth glory and fame. And that he, he uses it to bless his Father and to bless his people. And and to me, this is kind of a circle, that Jesus is glorious and he deserves glory, but then he gives it away, and that makes him even more glorious anyways. Like, it's this, like, beautiful circle of his generosity. So in the first paragraph of John chapter 17, we see Jesus asking God to glorify him. Again, in human terms, it feels really weird. God, make me famous. (laughs) I'm sure there's people who've prayed that before. And it's weird for humans, but for Jesus, it's fitting. Now, again, there's more to glory than fame, but I'm not really going to unpack that today. I'm going to kind of focus in on the study of fame and attention and expectation. And again, fame adds a tangibility to glory. So if it's helpful, when you hear glory in these next couple of minutes, think fame, being known, being honored, being seen as he really is. And then if it's helpful, you can add in some ideas of holiness and majesty and brilliance. And now we're starting to get a, a little bit of a more full picture of glory. My first point comes straight out of verses one and two. 
And it is that when Jesus is glorified, he gives glory to God. Would you look at verse one and two with me? When Jesus had spoken these words to his disciples, these previous paragraphs, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. So he's really just saying, glorify me, make me known, make me famous, reveal me so I, may, my, I can make you famous, God. Make me famous so I have platform to tell other people about you. Because Jesus revealed the Father. That was one of his primary things on earth was to reveal the Father, to point people away from himself. Why does Jesus want to be famous? To make God famous. Why does that matter? He tells us in verse 3. And when Jesus is glorified, it leads to the gift of eternal life. Look at verse 3. Jesus is saying, I want to glorify you because this is eternal life, that they know you, Father. Eternal life is knowing God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Jesus is saying, I want to be famous so I can tell people about you so that in knowing you and me, they have eternal life. And so we have to conclude Jesus is believing that without knowledge of the Father and without knowledge of himself, eternal life is inaccessible. And yet, Jesus here is saying, I want to give it to as many people as I can. I want to give it away freely to as many people as I can. Make me famous. Help me tell everyone about you, Father. If we move on to verse 4 and 5, we can see that when Jesus is glorified, his fame grows to meet who he already is. Again, he's not creating a larger-than-life identity. He's actually stepping into who he already is. Verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Right? His work was to glorify the Father. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is a little bit like uh, Undercover Boss. You guys ever seen that show? Right? Jesus is saying, like, I've, 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 put in, I've put on something. I stepped out of my title and my position and where everyone knew me, and I've kind of become anonymous. And I've been on the front rakes of humanity. And now what's happening is I'm revealing the glory and the power and the importance that I've had this whole time. Right? An undercover boss, why is the show interesting? Because the other employees don't know, right? It's not until the revelation of the glory that the boss had the whole time that the show becomes interesting. This is very similar. Jesus is saying, I left behind glory and fame and worship. And he did all of that to be born as an unimpressive, anonymous baby in, the, in the, the Jewish equivalent of Arkansas, like Podunk, Arkansas. Jesus was born into anonymity. And so as his fame and his reputation and his admiration grows, he's just simply growing, growing back into the reputation and the glory that he set aside in order to love and redeem us. Verse 10, we see that Jesus empowers his people to spread his fame. Verse 10, 14, and 20. He empowers his people to spread his fame. Notice in verse 10, all mine are yours, yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. He's saying, they're my people, 
They're, excuse me, they're my people and that makes them your people. And they're your people and that makes them my people. And I am glorified in them. What that means is Jesus' people become evidence. We become like signal posts that point to the glory of King Jesus. And then specifically, Jesus says, I'm sending my people out. Look at verse 14 through 20. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I just want to pause. Take that to heart, Christian. You are not meant to be of the world. They're not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify, make them holy, set aside in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate and make myself holy and set apart for service, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus is saying, I'm sending them into the world. And I'm praying for not only the people that are his immediate disciples, but the people who will become disciples. Now, if you are a disciple of Jesus, that means there is a legacy of teaching that has happened from this moment onward to a generation, and then onward to a generation, then onward to a generation, all the way that you heard the word of Jesus from somebody. And what this is telling us is Jesus has been praying for you. That those who would know him through his disciples' word. This is the legacy that we are part of. And this legacy means that Jesus is praying for you and for those who will become disciples through your word. As he sends us out, not to mimic the world, not to be isolated from the world, but to be protected while we make Jesus famous in it. My next point, verse 22, is that when Jesus is glorified, He gives glory to his people. This is the least selfish king ever. Verse 22 says, The glory that you've given me, Father, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. What is so special about Jesus' glory and Jesus' fame is it is so unlike what we're used to. What we're used to is people who become famous and they they get so obsessed with themselves that they just keep producing more and more and more to get more and more attention. And they become kind of like black holes, just absorbing everything from the world around them. But Jesus here is the opposite of a black hole. He's, if we're using astronomical terms, he's, he's, he's the equivalent of a star or a sun where when things come into him, he sends it outward in glory and light and life to the people around him. So when Jesus is glorified, he's not a black hole that's just saying, give me more and more attention, Christian. And we're not left just like this one-way street, Jesus giving him more and more and more. But as we give it to Jesus, Jesus in his generosity gives it back to us. And he sanctifies us like we saw in verse 16 and 17. He makes us holy and glorious and amazing as we're remade into his image. As we become glorified, we then point back to Jesus and the cycle starts all over. 
My last point as we come to verse 26 is that when Jesus is glorified, we grow in love. Verse 26 says, I made known to them your name, God. Remember, knowing God's name is eternal life. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known so that the love with which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. We talk about the gospel a lot here at All of Life, and I just want to point out the simplicity of this one sentence. That the love that the Father has for the Son in his perfect obedience and righteousness and fame and glory, that is the righteousness that Jesus asked the Father to give and put inside of you. It's real easy to move past that. But Christ follower, if you are despairing or wondering what the Father's posture is towards you, very simply, he's looking at you with the same adoring eyes that he would look at his son with. My brain immediately goes to, but what about this? And what about the sin? And how, don't I have to? Yeah, probably. Let's talk about that. But let's pause for a second. Let's just like slow the train down long enough to take, take God for his word and to enjoy the word of God. So often we talk about enjoying the word of God and that becomes an obligation. That I, I have to enjoy the word of God. And I just want to like hit pause, lean back in the sofa and believe that God loves me with the same love he has for his perfect and righteous son. And if I open my heart to that, the gospel of Jesus is starting to sound like good news. As we conclude, I hope that you're seeing that Jesus is worth fame and glory. That he is worth it. Notice what he is. What he is, is God himself. Trinitarian God. He is the infinite and divine creator. John chapter 1 says that he is, he is the light and the life of humanity. So when his reputation and his fame grows, they will never outgrow who he really is. He will never fail to live up to his name. He will never show up on National Enquirer. There will never be a scandal about him because he's so much more than we could ever comprehend. Because of what he is, he is deserving of fame and glory. But he's also deserving of fame and glory for who he is, what his character is like. When he receives fame and attention, he does not hoard it, he gives it away. First to God, so that we would know God and have eternal life. And second, he gives it away to us. Not because we earned for it or even asked for it, but because who he is is an elevating, exalting, sharing person. That is who he is. Notice how he empowers. Notice how he shares, how he blesses, how he welcomes, how he heals, how he loves. He's deserving fame and glory for what he is and who he is. And all of it makes him fame worthy. And the last thing I want to say, my final comment, 
is I want to point out that everything we've looked at today is Jesus' prayer. It's not, not a, a, a doctoral thesis. It's not a teaching. It's not like a mathematics equation. What this is, is a prayer. This is a, a vulnerable and intimate sharing of his heart with his heavenly father. And so I want to remind us that we can dissect all of this and, and pull it into some systematic theology, but there's a point that we can study it and miss its heart. And the heart of Jesus here is he prays for his glory and his people. So hours before his death, or his arrest and then his death, he prays, and what comes out, he wants to honor and glorify God, and then he wants to share his glory with his people. And then he asks the Father to care for them in love. That is his heart, to make known the Father so people would have eternal life, to empower and equip you, to share his glory with you, and to remind you of his love for you. And as we end today, I just really want us to hear that. And I want us to hear that Jesus is still doing this very same thing right now. Part of the gospel of Jesus is he died, yes, but three days later he was resurrected, and then a short time after that was ascended and is now reigning with the Father, and Romans 8 says he is interceding for his followers. He is praying to the Father right now for you. He is praying for his fame, for the glory of his Father, for eternal life that would come from it. And he's praying to his Father, Father, would you love them with the love that you have for me? And would you put that love in them? This Jesus is interceding, praying right now. This is more than a letter that stopped 2,000 years ago. This is an immediate today reality. So as we walk away, I want you to be encouraged by being reminded of his love, being reminded of his fame and his glory, and by being reminded that he is presently caring for you and caring for me and all his other followers and people across the globe. We've been trying this thing where we're not only wanting to incorporate prayer as an individual practice, but ending our gatherings with corporate prayer. And, and not like we're all going to do popcorn prayer, but an opportunity for us to lean into prayer in groups. Now, the way I would like to do that today is by simply recognizing where, where we give fame. And so I'd like to acknowledge that for me, Jesus can become one of many names that I like to talk about. And realistically, I find that I actually talk about other names more than him quite often. And I just want to acknowledge that. And I, as I come to this passage, want to reorient my life so that I lift Jesus high that my life becomes a platform for Jesus, a place where his good news gets proclaimed and that my lips would talk about Jesus' name more than any other name. There are a lot of interesting people in the world. Enjoy them. Give God glory for them. But some of them are not worth the attention that we give to them. And there is no one that competes with Jesus. There's no one that competes with Jesus. So we, if we take his prayer seriously, are sent to make Jesus famous. And as we lift him high, it heals us, it changes us, it reveals God's love. What it does is we platform the way, the truth, and the life. That is the Son of God.
So here's how I'd like to practice that together, if you would. If you believe and if you agree to what we've been talking about this whole time, that Jesus is better than many of the names that we talk about, I would just like for you to out loud with me when I count to three, say, Jesus is better. It's that simple. He's, Jesus is better, right? Uh, now, if, if you're a shouter, great. <laughs> if you're a mouse, great. Would you join me? If Jesus is better on three, one, two, three. Jesus is better. If you would like to make your life more about making Jesus famous, would you stand up? Would you join me in open prayer? Pray for yourself. Pray for the people around you. If you want to put a hand on a shoulder or back, great. Make sure you're not doing it in a weird way. Uh, <laughs> pray for yourself. Pray for the people around you, whatever that might be. But before we begin praying, uh, just one thing first. Feel free to pray as loud or as quiet as you want. This is a place of, of freedom. Um, though I hope we grow into more and more free expression. Second thing I want to say is I just want to start with a moment of silence. Because if we take this seriously, Jesus is right now in heaven praying for us and with us, and he has already sent his spirit to reveal the will of the Father in us. So I want to create just a moment to listen to the spirit and then pray, rather than kind of putting words into God's mouth. So if that is new to you, just simply in the quiet, ask Jesus or ask the spirit, spirit, would you ask me what, or tell me what to pray for when it comes to your fame and your glory? Tell me what to pray for, for myself and this person. You may or may not hear something, feel something, great. If you do, pray in that direction. If you don't, great, use your best judgment. I just want to create a moment of silence. Spirit of God, would you come and shape us? That we are not only pursuing your, your fame in our way, but we're pausing long enough to let you lead us. So God, Father, Son, Spirit, teach us what to pray in this moment in the same way you taught us what to pray in John 17. As your heart warms, your prayers crystallize or, or take shape, uh, now we're just going to spend about 30, 45 seconds to pray. Pray loud, pray, pray quiet, pray for yourself, pray for the person in front of you. Uh, it doesn't have to be waiting for the people just uh, in your own um, relationship with God. Go ahead and pray.
You can keep praying, but I'm just gonna pray over us, springboarding off of John 17. Jesus, we wanna glorify you because when you are famous and your name is known, you point to the Father and the Father loves and forgives us and transforms us and saves us. Sometimes I I can make uh, salvation about healing and transformation and improvement, and I forget the eternal, immediate salvation that comes with the name of Jesus and the glory of the Father. So Father, would you remind us of both of those realities, that you're sanctifying us in the truth, you're in the ways that you've set yourself apart for service in order to sanctify us, is both for the transformation and the improvement and the holiness of here and now, but it is also, just as importantly, about where we are forever and immediately, transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son. Jesus, I thank you that you are so generous, that you share and you share and you give and you give to all the weakest, the vilest, and the poor. Would you make us humble people? In the same way that you poured yourself out in love to save, would we pour ourselves out in love to make you famous and bring others to salvation? Would you help us to be gentle with ourselves? In the same way that you are gentle with us, you remind us of the Father's love. Would you help us be gentle as we practice prayer and as we practice mission and as we practice talking about you? That we would be motivated and inspired and moved and be gentle as we're learning how to do that with more of our wholeness. Jesus, would you be famous and glorified in our hearts and among us this morning? And I pray that you've enjoyed as your people remember you and point their hearts to you. Thank you. Amen.